He was born into a dysfunctional family. Dysfunctional? That's a kindness. There were eleven kids and four mothers. His dad had only married two of them, but, because he was rich, he kept the other two around and kept them all going at once. And kept all the kids. Those little Middle Eastern countries, you can get away with anything there if you've got the money. His dad was well known for his shady business dealings, well, his shady life, but in particular his business dealings. And yet the guy constantly said he was a believer in God, just like his dad and granddad. Yeah, right. The only advantage our kid had is that he was his dad's favorite. His mom's too. Well, he was her only natural child. His mom had adopted two from one of the other women, and the other woman stuck around too. What a mess. His favoritism thing finally got him into trouble. His dad was always giving him better stuff than all his siblings, and they got pretty jealous. And the kid was arrogant, too. I'm going to be in charge. You'll see. Everyone will have to do what I say. The brothers were so angry they wanted to kill him. Finally, they turned him in for a bounty and got him deported. Since their dad would blow a gasket if he found out, and over there that could mean you'd die, they doctored some evidence to make it look like the kid was killed and his body torn up beyond recognition. Like father, like sons. It worked, and they were in the clear. Then they heard that the kid got out on a work release program in the other country. At first they were a little worried he might find a way to contact their dad, but then he was back in again. You see, he was a real good-looking kid, and the ladies were always fawning over him. He must have carried it too far because he was charged with attempted adultery, and with his boss's wife, no less. Dumb kid. Well, they wouldn't have to worry about him anymore. Men get pretty upset over there when you start messing with their wives. Well, it's no surprise. What do you expect from a man who is a prisoner? A prisoner of the Lord's. Got a bit of a twist at the end. We'll get back to our young kid in a minute, but I wanted to point out a few things first. After the Apostle Paul defended himself before King Agrippa, he was sent as a prisoner to Rome. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. Paul was a prisoner of the Roman government. But... If that's true, why did he write, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you? Prisoner in Christ Jesus? How is he a prisoner in Christ Jesus if he's a prisoner of Rome? Attitude. Attitude is everything. He has a very specific attitude about his imprisonment because of knowledge. He knows what's going on. Three times in that tiny letter to Philemon, Paul says he is a prisoner. He starts with it and, as we just read, ends with it. In the middle, he said he could tell Philemon to do what he wanted, yet for love's sake I preferred to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. A prisoner for Christ Jesus. There were a number of people in the Bible who were prisoners for the Lord, prisoners of the Lord. I'd like to look at Paul, of course, and Daniel, and our young man who was Joseph. What did it mean to them to be prisoners? What does your mind do when you 
are a prisoner. What do you think when life goes wrong? How did they live their lives as prisoners for the Lord? Well, let's talk about Joseph's family. It's quite a history. (laughs) His dad was Jacob the Deceiver. That's what his name actually meant, Deceiver. That was his name. His brother once complained to their father, Jacob Jacobed me. That's actually what the sentence is. What a reputation! And Joseph had to live with that. Joseph's grandfather on his mother's side, with whom they lived, was worse. Those are the guys that were around when Joseph was grew up, was growing up. He saw that day to day. But his dad, the deceiver, <laughs> did have one really important thing in his favor. He never stopped trying to seek the will of God. And God sent Jacob an angel with whom he wrestled all night, a physical demonstration of intense prayer. A fantastic event that is remembered by the Israelites to this day. They still celebrate it. And in it, Joseph is renamed Israel. Israel, Prince of God. But, as great as this event was to everyone, Jacob still played favorites. (laughs) Ah, Joseph was still clearly the favorite. And before he becomes a prisoner... Tragedies happen in his life. Uh, the rape of Diana. Uh, how did this maybe 10-year-old boy handle this injustice against his half-sister? What did he think of the deceitful murder of all the men of that town in revenge uh, by Diana's full-blood brothers? Not much later than that, his mother dies. The death of Rachel. In childbirth, his brother lives. And then there's Joseph's dreams. At about 17, he dreams they are out in the fields harvesting grain. Each son of Jacob stands up one sheave of grain. Twelve sheaves and eleven bow down to Joseph's. (laughs) Maybe the most amazing thing about this bit as he tells his brothers the story. (laughs) What did he think their reaction would be? Young and dumb, I guess. Then he has another dream. The sun, the moon, and the stars bow down to him. I mean, do we need to draw a picture here? And again, he tells his brothers, and this time even his father. His dad berates Joseph. Do you think even your mom and I and all your brothers will bow down to you? But Jacob, Israel, thinks about this long and hard. The brothers... Well, they planned murder. (laughs) So shortly after these amazing dreams, his brothers scheme against and capture this dreamer, they call him. Reuben, the oldest, is horrified they had actually killed a kid, so he convinces them to only throw him into a pit, hoping to gain time to plan his escape. But when he's not there, they seize an opportunity, and Joseph is sold into slavery. At the suggestion and this is worth remembering, of his brother Judah. He's still a teenager. How does he handle all this trouble? Well, how do you handle the trouble in your lives? Joseph is sold to one Potiphar, 
does great work and quickly becomes his master's favorite, given control of the entire estate. But Potiphar's wife, (laughs) she's basically one of the wicked women of Proverbs and she tries to seduce Joseph. He'll have none of it, so in typical form for such a person, she frames him for attempted rape and Potiphar falls for it. So now we find Joseph in prison. God is with him, right? The baker who prepared all the king's food and cupbearer who made sure no one put poison in his wine were in prison with Joseph. They have dreams and Joseph, knowing a thing or two about such things, tells them what God is trying to say. He tells the cupbearer he is going to be freed and indeed get his old job back and don't forget me here in prison. The cupbearer forgets him. (laughs) Joseph is a prisoner for two more years. Would we might be asking, where are you, God? But we soon see Joseph with Pharaoh. Strange dream about seven cows and seven stalks of grain, good and poor. You have to read it. It's interesting. The cupbearer, finally, remembers the dreams in prison and they bring Joseph up. God gives the interpretation and Joseph becomes the prime minister of the leading world power of that age. A prisoner still, but the ruler of all Egypt under the Pharaoh. And now, because of the famine that he predicted, we're privy to a reconnection of Joseph and his brothers. It's a long interplay, probably a few years. Uh, Can you blame Joseph for being careful with these guys (laughs) but eventually it leads to a full family reunion sadly actually Joseph's father and he are honored by but separated from the Egyptians Pharaoh they won't even eat with these dirty Hebrews not even with Joseph who saved their nation you go do your sheep thing over there and we'll live over here (laughs) Injustice, prejudice, still a prisoner. And the inevitable is coming, the death of Jacob, his father. But before that is the blessing of Joseph's sons by Jacob. But in reverse. (laughs) Not even this thing in his life is done the way that Joseph expects or wants. Then Jacob gives blessings for each of his sons. There's a long, wonderful blessing for Joseph. But then, the scepter, the ruling, shall not depart from Judah. (laughs) Judah? Dad, I'm the one ruling here. How can you say he, the one who talked everyone else into selling me as a slave, can be the family that rules? Did he say that? Or was that maybe just what we would say? (laughs) And Joseph is still a prisoner. He has to get permission just to go and bury his father. And his brothers still don't get it. (laughs) Hey, Joseph, Dad wouldn't want you to do to us what we did to you. (laughs) Fear and misunderstanding. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, yeah, you meant evil against me. 
But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. A prisoner of the Lord who knew how to look at life. How do we view trouble? What is our attitude? Do we thoroughly trust God? 1,400 years after Joseph forgave his brothers, there's another prisoner of the Lord's. Daniel is enslaved. Daniel was born into the royal family of Israel, but he was taken from Israel at 16, never to return. He was a prisoner for the rest of his life. Nebuchadnezzar sent his army and they crushed Israel's defenses. The scriptures let us know this was because few Hebrews followed God faithfully like Daniel and his friends. For Nebuchadnezzar, his plans were to to take the best and the brightest of the land, bring them to Babylon, where he intended to have them re-educated as Babylonians, after which he'd send them back to rule for him. Right off the bat, there's this food conflict. Most of what those people ate was not allowed by the Scripture. God set up the rules to make the children of Israel different from those around them. Yes, many of the rules are now known uh, to be better for our health, some tremendously, but separation is the primary reason for these laws. In fact, the only thing that they were offered that was allowed in the law was the vegetables. <laughs> That's it. Uh, Daniel makes a deal with the officer in charge of them and he shows that adhering to God's laws is better. He and his friends continue to impress the various officials and are finally given the status of wise men. Now we have Daniel before the king. Nebuchadnezzar has this wild dream and he tells his chief wise men to give the interpretation. Great. Tell us a dream, we'll tell you what it means. I'm not going to tell you the dream. (laughs) You have to tell me both the dream and its interpretation. They argue with him as much as one could a despotic ruler of that era. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word is from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. You getting a feel for the tremendous ego of this guy? The big end decides that they aren't going to get it, so he sends out people to kill not just those guys, but every wise man. Daniel had heard nothing, as far as we can tell, of this until they come up to set up the executions. He gains temporary clemency, saying he'll have an answer by the morning. Daniel asks his buddies to pray, (laughs) and they do all night long. The next day, he's brought before this megalomaniac, and the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise man, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. 
and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of of your head while you lay in your bed are these. Daniel then outlines both the dream and its interpretation and is granted great power, but remains a prisoner. In the dream, Nebuchadnezzar is told how great his kingdom is in the entire history of man, not just then, but for all the time that mankind will spend on this earth. You will not be surprised to hear that he gets arrogant, (laughs) real arrogant. Until it's time for God's judgment, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream, which he tells our prisoner. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while. And his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Daniel's serious. He actually cares for this guy. This guy who had him torn from his home and made him a prisoner. Who could care for this guy? And it is a most difficult dream, especially to tell a man like this king. Nebuchadnezzar will be humbled. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Our king refuses and... He refuses the advice and God humbles him tremendously. He actually loses his mind and crawls around for years on all fours eating grass. But God eventually restores him and he truly repents, by the way, and follows Daniel's instructions to worship the true God. But he's old and soon is replaced by his son and then his grandson, which brings us to Belshazzar's feast. Okay, feast... Sounds pretty innocuous. Actually, it was a it was a full-on orgy with all of his wives and his concubines and, of course, his friends. In the middle of it, drunk as they were, they remembered the claim of the Hebrews that their God is the God above all gods, and they decide to thumb their noses at this God of Israel. Belshazzar has the holy temple vessels that had been taken from Jerusalem by his grandfather's armies brought into the party and they continued their drunk fest with using these. God is not one to mock. And suddenly this hand appears carving words in the stone wall. I don't care how drunk a person is, that's going to make them wake up. I mean, no one knows what the words mean. So our hapless king promises wealth to whoever can read and interpret the words. One of the wives remembers Daniel and he is ordered to come in to the king and tell him what this great sign means, although with promises of great reward. Then Daniel answers, answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. He rehearses Nebuchadnezzar's history and Belshazzar's Failure to listen, just like his grandfather, except this king will not humble himself before God. 
This is the interpretation of the matter. Mine, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting, whereas your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. A prisoner telling a king who can have him killed, you don't measure up. <laughs> he didn't. A new king enters the picture. Unlike his predecessor, he has great respect for both God and Daniel. And because of him, we get a wonderful picture of Daniel's dedication to God. Even though he is still a prisoner, in his 80s, Daniel has great power and significant political enemies. They entrap the king in an edict designed to play to his ego that requires no one pray to anyone but him. In spite of the edict designed to trap him, we find Daniel changes his prayer habits not one iota. <laughs> Those who wish his destruction triumphantly bring the proof before the king and he is trapped in the law of his own making. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. He's unable to extract himself or Daniel from this law which brings us to the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Listen to some of the amazing parts of this incredible story. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. You think Daniel may have gotten the message across to this king? Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. He truly cares for Daniel. And, as early as legally allowed, he rushes to the entrance of the den and cries out for Daniel and is pleased to hear this answer. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. The king believed, truly, deeply trusted God. And carefully note this. Daniel could only influence this king this way because he was a prisoner. If he hadn't been a prisoner, there was no influence. Was it worth it? Are we willing to suffer in our lives just so that others can hear the message of God's amazing grace? In our ancient prisoner's life, we now come to Daniel's fantastic visions. He saw the future of the whole world, but he was not arrogant, he did not brag, but he was dismayed at what will happen. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Notice that he didn't spread his grief around. Might be something in there for us. Certainly, he thought deeply about it. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, that would be Jerusalem in his mind, the focus point of worship of the true God. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. Even in the midst of suffering, do we care for others more than ourselves? I mean, we should. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. 
I know those words were spoken by one sent specifically to Daniel. But I think God speaks to us too. You are greatly loved. Do not fear. Let peace flood your heart. Have courage to continue telling people about Jesus and his love for you. Our ancient friend was concerned over all he had seen and the visions given to him. And because of those deeply affecting emotions and confusion of mind, we hear what may be the greatest thing this prisoner of the Lord's ever heard. Daniel's hope. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, Oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the end of the time. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Long after he dies, Daniel will live. Well, we've talked about Joseph and then Daniel, but what about Paul, the prisoner of the Lord? For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, in prison to help the Gentiles, which is us. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul got it. (laughs) But that was his first imprisonment. Where he had considerable freedom even then, his friends could visit him. He could bring whatever he needed and wanted. He could teach classes, uh, talk to anyone he wanted. What would his, would his attitude be if he was in a real prison? Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. The man who knows he's going to die said that. And after talking about some who refused to follow Jesus through his teaching, he said this to Timothy, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, The Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned 
and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. He's going to die, but Timothy, don't stop doing the very thing that got me in prison. (laughs) That's what he's saying. In fact, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I'm going to die soon, but you, Timothy, do the ministry God has given you. Don't stop. You fight the good fight. You keep the faith. And I think Paul had us in mind. We should fight the good fight. We should keep the faith. As for Paul, awaiting death in that cold, dark dungeon. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The ultimate rescue? Being brought safely into Christ's heavenly kingdom. (laughs) But did you wonder, was Paul thinking of Daniel? Lions? Yeah, I think maybe so. I'd like you to hear the very last sentence Paul ever wrote. Yes, it was in this heart-wrenching, but deeply encouraging letter to Timothy. But there's something special about it. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. The special part is not clear in English. (laughs) In Greek, the you is plural. Grace be with you. All of you. Paul is thinking about more than just Timothy. He has you in mind. Joseph and Daniel and Paul, but there's one other prisoner we should consider. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted, and they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus? who is called Christ. Jesus, the Lord, prisoner. Before he was arrested, Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus knew the suffering he would endure as a prisoner. 
And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The betrayal, the mock trials, the crucifixion. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The ultimate end of prisoners as far as the world is concerned. But Paul, driven by the Holy Spirit, wrote, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. In this prisoner, we see Jesus the first and last. Behold, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The Lord Jesus was a prisoner so that we could be set free. We don't need to worry. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. We are prisoners no more, free because Christ suffered for us. We don't have to pay for the wrong we have done. <laughs> we are free. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his Son, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That you know. Do you know you have eternal life? It doesn't matter if we're prisoners here. Tragedies need not overwhelm us. Even if you spend your years in prison because your brothers betrayed you, you are free. No matter if you were ripped from your home and never see it again, it was never your real home. Even if you were in a dark, dank dungeon that you will leave only to be executed, you are free. God gave us eternal life and this life is in his Son. All this was written, all that we've read was written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. 
a prisoner of the Lord no more. <laughs> you will be free forever. Now we just have to live now <laughs> like we are free forever. <laughs> no matter how Satan tries to imprison us. Father, it is amazing. And sometimes when we're in our prison, the things that Satan has entrapped us in, a life that, okay, maybe we did ourselves <laughs> because Satan tempted us and we were all too willing and we made our own mistakes and we have to live with them now. We feel like a prisoner. But we need your reminder of who we really are. We are loved by you, by your Son. Your Holy Spirit comes into us and makes us new. And one day, on that day, as Paul said, on that day, we can be confident now that on that day, you're going to deliver what you promised. We will have eternal life because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And because of that amazing thing, we have eternal life as a gift from you, not because of works we've done, not because of things we've done, but because of who you are and who your Son is. And for reasons that, well, I can't understand for me, you love me. <laughs> you love us. I don't know why. I got a mirror, I look in it, and I don't understand why you love me of all the people in the world. But you do. And every one of us here can hear these words. We are loved by you. Astonishing. Amazing. Now, Lord, help us to live like we are prisoners no more. No matter what our circumstance is, it's only temporary. The reality is we have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Help us to remember that. Help us to share that, that amazing hope that we have. Help us to somehow let people see how excited we are to know, to know that you care for us and we have eternal life because of your Son. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.